Hey, it's Greg Brown. Grab your logbook, because it's time for another cockpit adventure from the flying carpet. I'm an aviation author, adventure columnist, photographer, former National Flight Instructor of the Year, and Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. The Flying Carpet is a four-place single-engine light airplane. In it, my wife Jean and I have long traveled the North American continent, searching behind clouds for the real America, and experiencing aerial adventures like today's all along the way. Learn more at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, where you can also see photos from most episodes. And I'd appreciate your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. This episode is dedicated to firefighters on the ground and in the air. Okay, everyone, time to climb aboard, buckle up, and prepare for takeoff on today's adventure, Wildfire, How an Airport Helps Save a Town. Clear prop. What's that smoke, I wondered, startled, as I strolled from my car to meet friends at a downtown Flagstaff, Arizona music festival? At first, no one else seemed to notice the rapidly billowing plume overhead. I guess it's a pilot's nature to peer continually upward. But before long, crowds began gathering on city sidewalks, snapping photos with their cell phone cameras. There was a perverse beauty to the gargantuan column of soot piercing a cobalt sky under a vivid midday moon, surrounded by swarms of red and white slurry bombers and helicopters scurrying low over downtown to attack from overhead. Flagstaff's not a big place, and I was mortified at the thought of a large fire apparently so close to town. But for the moment, no one I asked seemed to know any more about it than I did. Just south of town at Flagstaff Pulliam Airport, however, Wiseman Aviation owner Orville Wiseman had just received a tearful call from his young son, Grant. Firemen just came to our house, Dad. They said we need to evacuate right now. The airwaves soon beamed alarming news of the Hardy Fire threatening the east side of town. An email from Orville waited when I got home. Guess whose house was one of the closest to the initial fire, he wrote. When I saw the smoke from the airport this morning, I knew we were in trouble. My wife called shortly thereafter and said to get home, as we were being evacuated. By the time I let our caravan of animals and belongings out the driveway, 50-foot flames were racing through the nearby woods toward town. The hotels are full tonight, so we're staying in the hangar and hoping we might be able to go home sometime tomorrow. We brought a horse, goats, dogs, cats, and some geese with us to the airport. The chickens and a few cats got left behind. He shared an update later that evening. A Forest Service jet just shot infrared of the fire tonight, and the tech shared the imagery with me. The fire is still very active and burned much of the forest to the west of us. Fortunately, our house and the adjacent vegetation look to be untouched thus far. But the firefighters have a long way to go on this, and if the winds shift tomorrow, we could easily lose our house. But Orville had more to worry about in addition to his home and family. 
They called in eight slurry bombers from all over the southwest this afternoon to work the fire, he continued, which right away told me how bad it is considering there are only 19 large air tankers in the entire United States. We were soon busy fueling them at our Winslow location and supporting helitankers here in Flagstaff. The fire is just two miles off the end of the runway. The next morning, Orville reported more bad news. A few hours ago, a new fire broke out on Schultz Pass, he told me, the result of a campfire gone wrong. When I flew to Winslow to check on things there, I learned of yet another startup down on the Mugion Rim. The fire that threatened our home is pretty well under tabs, but we cannot move back yet. It feels like Armageddon here. Fortunately for Gene and me, for the moment both the Hardy and Schultz fires burned far across town. While neither immediately threatened our own home, that situation could rapidly change if the wind shifted. Rarely have we felt more vulnerable. Top off the flying carpet, ordered my wife while prioritizing belongings for possible evacuation. We need to be ready to move the airplane at a moment's notice. Orville's challenges, however, were just beginning. Four monstrous Ericsson Aircrane helitankers with their support equipment and 12 light, fixed, and rotary wing fire command and support aircraft now clogged Flagstaff's general aviation ramp. This while the eight giant fixed-wing air tankers battled the fire from nearby Winslow. Given such congestion, all other general aviation traffic had to be towed and serviced elsewhere on the field. After a sky crane's rotor wash swung a massive Grumman Albatross 180 degrees in its parking spot, Orville's team began directing even the largest GA aircraft to distant corners of the airport. Then there was the challenge of fueling all those firefighting aircraft. The four helitankers, some more than four decades old, were especially thirsty, each burning some 500 gallons of jet fuel per flight hour. Since fuel orders normally take 12 hours to fulfill, Wiseman implored his supplier to radically increase delivery speed and quantities of fuel to support all those aircraft. I suspect it was an emotional plea. Along with protecting the property of 60,000 neighbors, timely arrival of that fuel might help suppress the hardy fire threatening his own neighborhood. To keep up, Wiseman contracted an additional fuel truck to be driven 320 miles from Albuquerque overnight. Ultimately, his crews pumped an additional 10 to 15,000 gallons of fuel per day during the wildfires. Between such pressing duties, Orville found time to email insider news snippets and aerial photos of the conflagrations shot while shuttling between Flagstaff and Winslow. I have attached some photos from the past 24 hours, he wrote. The morning briefing takes place at 0700 each day outside the rampside entrance of the FBO. The fire has consumed a substantial part of the eastern side of the San Francisco peaks. Given the devastation of much of the vegetation, erosion will be a major concern when precipitation finally gets here. Although aerial firefighting activities ceased every evening at sunset, support activities continued all night. 
The air cranes require eight to nine hours of maintenance per flight hour, Orville told me, so mechanics work from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. every day keeping the aircraft online. Likewise, my staff is keeping similar hours to support everyone. Also, the heavy helicopters have switched from drawing water wherever they can find it to loading from mobile retardant bases, or MRBs, at the base of the mountain. That's apparently working well, but one bad side effect is that the retardant must be washed off the helicopters each time they refuel, which is about every 90 minutes. Oh, and the governor came in yesterday afternoon for a visit. It's been a long week. Each morning, Wiseman's employees stocked his break room with coffee and pastries for the firefighting teams. When not otherwise occupied, the owner spent his afternoons flipping burgers for the tanker crews. Everybody here has been putting in extra hours, Wiseman said. My entire staff is grateful for each and every airdrop. When the Hardy and Schultz fires finally ended several weeks later, they had consumed almost 16,000 acres, including the eastern slopes of the town's signature San Francisco peaks. But amazingly, although hundreds of homes were evacuated, not one structure burned, thanks to heroic work by ground and aerial firefighters and those who supported them. The embers were still cooling when Gene and I joined Orville and thousands of others cheering victorious hotshot firefighter teams marching in the local July 4th parade. Even then, the aviation effort wasn't over. BLM helicopters soon airlifted hay and plant seed to stabilize fire-ravaged slopes of the San Francisco peaks against flooding and mudslides during the coming summer monsoon thunderstorm season. Ultimately, Wiseman Aviation and the Flagstaff Control Tower received government citations for exemplary performance in supporting the firefighting activities. But this story is not about just one town or one fire or one airport. Similar heroic firefighting efforts are taking place at this very moment at airports all over the West, as they have for decades and undoubtedly will in the future. It's easy to forget the importance of airports in routine times when neighbors complain of airplane noise or of airport operating costs. Yes, they might appreciate airline service where it's available, but they rarely see the life-saving air ambulances flying patients in and out at all hours of day and night, nor the volunteer light plane pilots collecting and delivering vital blood supplies. What's more, We pleasure and business flyers play vital roles in supporting those efforts. After the fire, our airport director informed me that hangar rent, fuel taxes, tie-down, and landing fees cover a large percentage of the airport's ongoing operating costs, not to mention bringing business to town. If anyone doubts what an airport can do for a town, they should study as an example what happened in Flagstaff, Arizona in June 2010. Without airports... This story, our treasured community, and many others around the country and the world might have very different endings. I hope you found today's episode interesting and educational about how airports support communities during emergencies. You can find associated photos at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. Thanks for riding along on today's Flying Carpet Adventure. Please help me continue this podcast by sharing your favorite Flying Carpet episodes on social media, 
posting reviews on your favorite podcast directories, and donating via my Greg Brown Flying Carpet website. Thanks in advance for your support. You can find photos from most episodes at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out my book of aviation adventure stories, Flying Carpet, The Soul of an Airplane, for which I was named Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. Learn about that and my other aviation books at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. Also at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, you'll find my views from the flying carpet aerial photography, available in fine art metal prints and pilot achievement plaques. Oh, and I'd appreciate hearing your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Follow my social media sites, most of which can be found by searching Greg Brown Flying Carpet. And consider joining my student pilot pep talk group on Facebook. Thanks again for joining me on today's Flying Carpet Cockpit Adventure. Music by Hannes Brown. See you next time.